Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Barbara Conry is the USA Today bestseller for her debut novel, Nowhere Near Goodbye. Now she's just released her sophomore novel, My Secret to Keep. It was just released in August of this year and is the prequel to her first book. Barbara is an active member in the Women's Fiction Writers Association, the Women's National Book Association, Author Talk Network, and she hosts a monthly book club on the bookish road trip. Barbara, welcome back to the Storyteller Microphone. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me again. You know, you're only the second guest that I've ever had back on the show, which is, it's both a tribute to you because you're such a great guest, but it also means you're a prolific writer. So you've already come out with another book within the year that we've had the storytellers on the air. I have not been shy in my reviews about saying your book, Nowhere Near Goodbye, and your most recent book, My Secret to Keep, were my most anticipated books. And My Secret to Keep did not disappoint. Tell our listeners about your new book. Thank you. Um, My Secret to Keep is a prequel to Nowhere Near Goodbye. It came about through sheer desperation, Um, really. When I was editing um, for my publisher, my first book, Nowhere Near Goodbye, my editor was originally a two-person point of view, and my editor said, this one point of view has to go. It has to be a single point of view, which cut out 50% of the book. 50%. 50%. And I was like, what am I going to do? I agreed with what she said. She made sense. She laid out her case. She said, it's up to you, but this is what I'm recommending. I said, okay, but I'm not sure how I'm going to do it. And she said, well, let's talk about it. And we did. And she said, do you have a secondary character that you could maybe give some of this characters conversations, everything. Could you just like, maybe just hand it off to this other character? I said, well, maybe. And so I looked through the manuscript and I said, well, I have this one character who literally had maybe two lines. And even though, and it was Miss Maggie, and even though Miss Maggie originally had this very, very, very brief entrance into nowhere near goodbye I had this feeling about her I just kind of loved her she was this little old Italian lady you know reminds you of who knows who could that be (laughs) right so and and so the one line that she was in it was when my main character was Emma was a little girl and Emma's talking to her mother and she says what is the connection with Anne and and Miss Maggie? I don't understand. Are they best friends? What are they to each other? And her mother, not knowing what to say to this nine-year-old little girl, said, it's complicated. So those two words, it's complicated, helps me build 
an entire story around Miss Maggie and what she went through from the time she was a teenager till she met Emma later in life and befriended her as a child and then as an adult and really was the one of the few people who stuck with Emma through her long road of losing just about everybody in her life so that she could perform the research she needed for that first book. Both books are so powerful, but they also stand beautifully alone. Was that difficult to accomplish? Oh, it was horrible. I would <laughs> never suggest. I would never suggest doing a prequel once the other book is already written. Although I think I know one other author who has done it, but um, you really had to make sure that you had your timelines right because you couldn't go and change anything and nowhere near goodbye. It was already on the shelves. So I had to keep going back and forth and making sure that I could back Miss Maggie into the story and then meld them together where they met so that it could then move forward. So yeah, it was, it was not one of my brighter moves, but it turned out well. It turned out very well. I want to go back to a little bit about the 50% rewrite. How was that? I'm sure it was daunting, but how did you persevere through that? I walked around the house saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. I just cannot do this. I literally was beside myself. I was terrified. And to make it worse, once my editor, you know, really laid that on me she kind of like felt like i was handling everything well and and i didn't need her and so it was like i was like wanting her to hold my hand and she's there no you got this you know so it was daunting i literally worked seven hours a day seven days a week i i i just didn't think for the longest time that i would be able to get it done but I did. And you did so beautifully, but I, I think I would have definitely been in that. Well, you know, I just gave up. Obviously I got it wrong. It was 50% wrong. So I wouldn't have persevered yet. It turned into a USA Today bestseller. By sheer luck. <laughs> I swear. By sheer luck, a great um, agent, a wonderful press and fabulous writing, Barbara. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I want to now dive a little bit deeper into my secret to keep. You allude to the complicated relationship between Maggie and Anne. Can you talk a little bit about that? I can. I the the story starts. Well, actually, I I borrowed a little something from Jennifer Weiner in Mrs. Everything, who starts her book like three quarters of the way through the book and then for her first chapter, but then goes backward like 40 years and then moves forward. And that's how I set up uh, my secret to keep because I loved the way that was developed. Um, but it starts in 1948 in a small town in central Pennsylvania, real town, real name, Intercourse, Pennsylvania. I have which, driven through Intercourse. Yes, which is literally rural it is very small-minded it is very religious it is not the place where a young girl 
who is beginning to question her own sexuality needs to be. And yet that's where I put her because I wanted to see what she would do. <laughs> and you didn't kill her off because you love killing off characters. I, do love it, killing it, off characters. I, I think I was in chapter four and you'd already killed off three people. And it's not a, I, let's be real clear. It is not a murder. It is not a suspense. It's just life and death happens yeah, in each of your does. books. You know, it happens. And I kind of like, Yes, I, I'm, I'm trying to think in my newest book if I've killed anybody off yet. I'm sure I have. I must have. But, you know, there will be a death. There's for sure. I'm sure. So let's go back to the relationship that evolves between Anne and Miss Maggie. Okay. Okay. So Maggie is 16. She is kicked out of her family home in Oma, Wisconsin, which, again, is a real town. Um, she is kicked out. She calls her brother. She moves to intercourse. She hasn't finished high school. The father of the baby is killed in an accident. Go figure. Um, Anne is her teacher. Anne is the first person to show her kindness. She is the first person to recognize Maggie's intelligence. She is the first person who Maggie senses a feeling of friendship. And, and Maggie doesn't know what to do with this. She is like, and, and she talks about, she talks about Anne all the time to, to her brother, Sam. And Sam says, listen, I want you to stay away from this woman. There are rumors about her and I don't know if they're true, but you just don't need to be talking to this woman. I don't care. She's your teacher. And so Maggie begins to fear her feelings to the point where she just walks away from Anne. I mean, she, she just, after she graduates from high school, Anne offers her friendship, simply friendship. And Maggie at first thinks she can do that, but the more she is exposed to Anne, the deeper her feelings grow and the more afraid she becomes. And then her brother, God bless his soul, reads her a for real passage in the Bible that basically says that the feelings are detestable. And Maggie walks around with this feeling like she is detestable. And so I like to explore that because at that time period, I have a feeling there were a lot of people who felt that way. And I wanted to explore that. I loved how you put it in a context because the whole story for me is a love story. It is the story about what we need in life, what we want in life, what we don't get, what we can have, what we sometimes walk away from. So you have wrapped all of those needs, wants, essential elements of a love story into your novel. And I, I love that you explored that. And by putting it in a context, a historical fiction context, 
you allowed us to explore it in a way that we can understand societal norms, at least in a way that we couldn't have explored it in today's society. Was that your intent as well? Yes, because, and I just had a conversation about this. A lot of young people today who have explored their own sexuality and maybe have not followed what many people feel the norm might be, are not even aware of the issues that people who are homosexual rather than heterosexual went through. And I think that's an important, an important part of our history. I think that needs to be explored. I think it doesn't need to be forgotten. I think everything, every freedom that bisexual, homosexual, transsexual, I think every freedom those people have is related in some way to the history behind them, to the people who walked before them. So yes, that was in my in my mind. I had a lot going on in my head when I wrote this book. Honestly, it's a wonder I managed to get the words on the page. But the other thing, the other thing that I want to point out that to me was really important was the love that Maggie had for her brother Sam and how Sam in the end betrayed her. And of course, I don't want to give away any state secret, so to speak. I, I don't want to give the story away, but um, there was only one person in Maggie's life, really, who didn't betray her, who didn't walk away from her, who didn't kick her out, who loved her unconditionally. And how many people in our lives can we say that about? Not too many. And not enough. And not, not enough. enough. Yeah. Not enough. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more that we all stand on the shoulders of somebody else. And I think that your particular message here is important uh, for the particular story, but also for all of us to realize that none of us got here without standing on the shoulders of somebody else. How hard was the historical fiction part for you to write? I did a lot of research. Um, in fact, one of the scenes that I researched, only one scene was deleted from the entire manuscript. The, which was quite a lot to say, considering 50% of my first book was the lead. You, you did so much better in book two. I did, I did, <laughs> I did. Do, I learned some things, but only one scene was deleted in um, My Secret to Keep, and I've used it several times as a deleted scene, you know, kind mm -hmm. of thing, and essays. And um, I did all this research on a 1949 Roadmaster convertible, the colors, you know, where all of the controls were. Mm -hmm. And then that was, it was like, Anne was teaching Maggie how to drive and she had this classic car. And that was the thing. And it was like one of my biggest, um, chapters and i'm known for short chapters i like i like to read short chapters it's the only thing i follow from james patterson james patterson's advice to writers is write short chapters well i'm not necessarily a james patterson fan i have been but i like that advice and i like to read short chapters so i write short chapters this was a long mother of a chapter and it got deleted 
And I was like, I was like, okay, yeah, I see. It didn't really move the story forward. I thought, I thought it kind of like increased the relationship between the two of them. It was kind of like a trust thing. Maggie was terrified mm -hmm. and convinced her there was nothing to be afraid of. But the bottom line was, and I managed to, with my editor's advice, I managed to take bits and pieces of that chapter and sprinkle them throughout the book. And it was like things like Miss Maggie would only drive if it was sunny out, if there were only three turns to be made, and if she knew exactly where she was going. And so I used that in several different places. I got my point across. Miss Maggie was never comfortable driving. Guess who else is uncomfortable driving? Yes. So I know, right? I love when there's a little bit of the author in every piece. So the Absolutely. historical pieces still came through for you, but you had to edit and work around them. One of the things I have learned from you in interviews is you absolutely adore the editorial process. I do. I do so much better than the blank page. It's like, give me a story and I will edit that sucker. It's like, I really like that. Yes. A blank page. You know, honestly, when I sit down to write like a, my very first chapter for a very new book, I just start typing. It's like, I don't care what it is. I just start typing because I know I'm going to take care of it. And it's like, just so I can get some ideas out there. But once I have, like, once I have the rough draft, I'm in heaven because then I know I've got a story. I just have to make it beautiful. And to me, that's the best part. I know there are authors who like it the other way around. There are authors who can write beautiful first drafts. I'm not one of them. Um, I write down and dirty first drafts, but then I get the chance. It's like, think about this. It's like having a second chance and a third chance and however many chances you need. That's what you get when you're writing a book. Well, I, I love that. I think it's a real inspiration to other authors. So you have these two books out. I'm certainly wishing my secret to keep incredible success. But I also know that you gave advice when I had the privilege of interviewing you before that you should always be writing your next book. So something tells me you're probably already got another book close to being done. Well, it's not close to being done. I'm on my second draft. Um, I've got like 62,000 words because I, I took the first draft as far as I could, knowing that when I went back with the second draft, I'd figure out the ending because I'm so <laughs> iffy on the ending. But um, yes, it's coming along nicely. I'm really excited about it. It is super different. In fact, I was just talking about this with an author friend. It is super different than my two books that are out. And I'm, I've got, I've got some great expectations for it. Great expectations. That was also a good book. What I don't have is a title. <laughs> I don't have a title for this book. I'd say a great expectations, but that was already chosen. Yeah, that was that was already taken. Yeah. Barbara, let's just work believe it or not, we are almost out of time yet again. Our time together always goes so quickly. Yeah, it does. Um Let's just touch real quickly on Women's Fiction Writers Association. What's your role there? Um, I have several. Uh, I just picked up a new one. I um, 
and the welcoming committee on Facebook and also the congratulations for your success kind of thing. Um, and I always do, um, every year I strongly believe in this, the um, Rising Star Award where um, unpublished authors submit, submit that used to be full manuscripts and now it's, or not full, but maybe 30 pages, and now it's maybe less than that. Um, they submit pages to be critiqued and to be honestly critiqued yet with love. Um, I am I, I'm really a strong believer in that. I also um, do the um, Star Award, which is published authors. And I'm so proud to say that the last couple of years, my my choice is who won. I mean, it's like my which is not just my choice. It goes through several rounds of judges, but I'm in the first round judging, kind of like weeding out the, you know, what's not going to make it. And um, I'm I'm it's time consuming. Um, I think I read three full novels for the Star Award, and I think I read up to six excerpts from the manuscripts from the unpublished, and that involves the critiquing and offering advice and also offering them, you know, complimentary comments on what they've done well, because you can't do one without the other. You always have to, you know, have both. And I also do a little thing for them, which I can't talk about, but because we're all secret, but so I do that. And I, I just adore uh, Women's Fiction Writers Association. And I will tell you quite honestly, I would not have published one book without them. And I know you're such an advocate of them. They're a great organization. Barbara Conry, thank you for being such a great guest on Storytellers. I look forward to having you back for a third time. Any closing comments for us? Thank you so much, Grace. I just adore being interviewed by you. You are such a friendly face with such a great voice. And I'm happy to be here. I'm privileged to be here. Well, lots of good luck for this new book. I hope that everybody reads My Secret to Keep. This has been a copy copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks for watching. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode because... When our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.